0: Coming up on past the secret sauce.
1: Well, we have two processes that they kind of meet them where they are. We have our compass, which helps point in the direction of whether we're going to be the company that helps them if we can mm-hmm. even have the skill sets to do it. And the feasibility from a technical standpoint if that's all true then we go into what we call our mapping process and that's really tied in with our development but in the mapping process this is where we're boiling it down this is what we're saying are you sure you need that yeah are you sure you need that and we do that in a way where we're asked the right questions up front define that problem statement define the goals and the value that we're trying to provide and then along the way as we're working through we ask that question how much of that value is going to be provided here how much of that value is actually going to be provided here Those exercises are very, very important. Instead of us just saying, here, let's slice this up. And here, Mm -hmm. this is what we're doing. It's a very interactive and collaborative process that we take one of our customers through to help them kind of come to the realization. Also, what we do is we prioritize those. So when we go through the process, you may have still come up with seven or seven features that you wanted for that and to solve it. Now you got to put those in priority order. What's that number one and what's that number seven? And here's your budget and here's your timeline. We're going to work through them in this priority order, and we may not get to number seven, but you're going to know along the way that we're not getting there. So I really think it's just as much upfront planning without, without, again, ruining the creative process that happens during the building, but enough to let the the customer know, educate them, the client, educate them on how software is built and how to work through it to deliver that value and really stay focused on that every feature and asking that question.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Trent Korich, who is the founder and CEO of a software company called Airship. Now, Trent is a fellow technology company owner, and uh, we get into some of the challenges that he's had uh, with building a technology company. We talk about remote teams and how he builds culture across teams that you know, may or may not necessarily be in the same room. He talks about the way that they established that transparency and some products that they've actually built for their internal team communication that, you know, hopefully is going to be available for the public to be able to use. I, I know that I certainly am interested in it. But we cover a lot of different topics, everything from, you know, the types of companies that he works with and the types of problems that they help solve through software and through technology. And again, like like I mentioned before, they we get into some of the the business building aspects as well, some of the things that they're doing to ensure that their their culture is strong and everyone feels like they're included we talk about their core values and why they feel that it was important to be able to create all of those so we cover a gamut of different topics today it was a great great conversation with trent and uh, i hope you enjoy today's episode of pass the secret sauce
2: i
1: actually saw i was born in houston texas I was raised here in Alabama, but I was born there and, and I lived there till I was about 12. My father was a police officer. So our dinner tables, he was also a great cook. So our dinner tables looked different night by night. It was either I had a full uniform and a 45 on a hip, uh, a police <laughs> officer sitting next to me, or he may not have been there. You know, he, he did take on a lot of extra jobs. And then there are some nights where we had a 50-gallon, crock pot doing a cajun crawfish oh, below and inviting everybody over so honestly when, when i was young it, it took a couple of different views but the ones i remember the most are the ones where more people were there we had neighbors over we had just a good time of everybody kind of having that community around us and my dad testing his recipes on all of yeah, us we ended up actually create he started a restaurant whenever we came to alabama he went ahead and just retired from the the police force and actually started a restaurant very cool very cool is he still doing the 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 restauranteering he's not no 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 more restaurants not for the past few years but i think he 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 had enough of that but at the end of the day i i feel like i we were a good test kitchen for him so that he knew what to not to do whenever he got over here so
0: Now, did you, did he have any type of, was he exploring opening up his own restaurant when you were, you know, growing up or was that something that he always wanted to do? Like I, I, where I'm going with that is, is, you know, trying to understand where you got your entrepreneurial drive from, you know, do you think that that sort of influenced it or what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I imagine it had to have, from a opening a restaurant standpoint, Likely in his head, but I do remember cooking and serving others was one of the big things for him. I, again, I remember even him getting off of work at Sam Easter Race Park as, you know, doing security there and me and my brother being at a biker bar playing pool with some bur- burly folks while he had his uniform on a smoker out back and yeah. bringing home trophies taller than I was. So I think he he eventually got that drive. But when we decided to move to Alabama, it was very clear. We were coming here to live by family, but also open a restaurant. So yeah, there's got to be some of that personality in me for sure.
0: That's very cool. Now, do you guys still do the uh, the crawfish boils and all that every now and then?
1: No, no, it's no. been a while
0: for that. Now uh, i have got to
1: take on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to take on that uh, that totem. So we'll, we'll see if I, I can't spend one. I up.
0: absolutely love that. One of my clients. So in Northeast Ohio, probably actually it was always Labor Day weekend. That Friday before Labor Day, they they ship up all of these crawdads you know from louisiana one of the one of their employees was from louisiana so she got all of the uh i forget what the what the powder is that you put in there but yeah they do a crawfish boil every year and absolutely love those things it's that that is such a great you know way to be able to bring you know family friends together and you just have a good time so that's really throw it out on a
1: table throw a sheet out there and throw it out on the table no plates just go and grab it i love it that's awesome yeah
0: yeah that's very cool so you went to college then? Yes, did you? Yeah. So so you did the whole school thing. What haf- happened after after school? Did you jump right into starting a company, or did that not come for a little while yet?
1: So I did. I went to I went to Auburn University. I started out in software engineering. I made it about a semester and a half, and then someone had me convinced that I was going to be sitting in a corner looking at a <laughs> black screen and white writing and losing all my hair. So I changed majors to MIS. I still ended up losing a lot of my hair, but I, I, I get to look at some colored screens uh, as, yeah. as we do it. What right? was MIS? What's MIS? Information, Information Systems Management. Ah, so it was, it, it. it was the bridge of my business love for business and strategy, mm-hmm. as well as I got some, some opportunities to, to write code. But at the end of the day, I had a business while in high school. Oh, going um, around fixing computers. I was, I was only charging about five or 10 bucks an hour. And my computer teacher actually started selling me to like 25 an hour. Selling Bad, bad use of words there, yeah. but up my rates to 25 an hour. So I had that. And then when I went into college, I actually had college IT. And I did the same thing in college. Not official uh, business, but I was, I've always kind of had those side jobs going on. And when I got out of college, I went straight into an, a company called Daxco here in Birmingham, which was a fantastic company as a co-op, and then they hired me on full-time. But it wasn't until a few years into Daxco when I, I started getting the itch again to do something, again, more substantial, something that I can put my hands around, something that I can have a little bit more say into the strategy and direction of. And, and that's where you know, what we do today kind of stemmed from that, but mm-hmm. it even started a little bit differently.
0: And, and did you, did you see a, a need in the market and that's where you jumped or how
1: did, how the inspiration come for, for Airship? Yeah. So, so Airship uh, actually started as a product company. So we had a SaaS product in the beginning and, and what we did, we did, we saw a need for the market. This is when people were standing in lines to renew their card tag in hundred degree heat and passing out on the courthouse line. So we said there's 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 computers in your pocket and there's mm-hmm. cameras on those computers how can we do something better so we actually spent about 14 months nights and weekends while still working full time at daxco building this idea using all of our vacation to go meet with revenue commissioners and probate judges and selling and 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 seeing what could happen and it really came down to making that leap from full time into our company when One of our clients actually called us while we were at a company event for DAXCO, and I was a team lead or a a, a group lead there at at one of these events. And he said, uh, hey, we've got Fox, CBS, we've got these three news networks heading to the courthouse, Mm -hmm. and they're going to do an expose on this new technology and this launch in in, in the county. Come on down. This is (laughs) is what it is. And I'm sitting here, my co-founders across the room, I'm signaling to him, like, call Greg. I can't do it. And that's when we actually had had to have a conversation with our client that says, hey, we're actually not full time on this. This is something that we're trying to build. But we did make the decision right after that. It's like, we're going to do this or we're not going to do it. But then that led to more of what did we really have passion for? And behind the scenes, what we really had a passion for and what we do today at Airship is we like solving big problems with technology. We love those human-centered problems where someone has to interact with software, especially if it's something that either improved their lives in a in more of a personal mental health way, but or their business strategy and we we call our back office Betty or our mm-hmm. back office Tommy has to work with software. It should be a beautiful experience. So we actually ended up selling that SaaS product so that we can corely focus on what we do today, which is we design, build, and maintain custom software, and we bring that through a, a, a really battle tested now process uh, here mm-hmm. within Airship. Yeah, that's cool. So are you
0: are you actually going into clients and? evaluating their process flow and how they do things and then you build the, the software to be able to
1: you know serve however they do things we do we we have a couple of different approaches and this is where i think you know we we kind of differentiate ourselves There are certain clients that really are these organizations that already have their their market. They understand Mm -hmm. what they're trying to do, and they're just trying to solve a problem within, maybe a new opportunity within that market. For those, we still go in and we ask the hard questions like, why do you think this problem needs to be solved? Who are you trying to Mm -hmm. solve it for? So we have that UX, that user research side of things and a process to – get to the heart of what, what we're trying to do here. But there's others that these, these entrepreneurs that just I have an idea, especially those visionary type of folks, like I've got an idea. I know it needs to exist. I don't know exactly what it is. So we actually bring them in. We help them articulate what that is first okay. and then agree. And then we start building. So yeah, there's always a process up front of helping put a, a semblance of an articulated vision in place, a problem statement and uh, maybe some design and wire flows to help us make sure that we're achieving that result as we start actually putting code on the screen.
0: Yeah, got it, got it. And and typically how long does a project like this take? I mean, I imagine with it being custom, you have you know some projects that are relatively quick and other ones
1: that could last years and you know, may never stop, yes? Yes, exactly right. So projects, yes, they can span from three months to two years, we have some. Yeah. However, we'd never, there's always a release cycle in there. So it all depends on what you consider like the end of the project, but a client, however, our whole goal is to keep them for as long as possible. We're relationship based. So we have what we call our flywheel within here. If you've ever read good to great, you probably have heard certain things like that, but uh, the flywheel is something that we are very intentional about. So as they work through, we want to keep solving those problems for those people and those organizations. So projects can last short periods of time, but relationships, we try to last as long as possible, for sure.
2: Yeah. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down? or figure out what is happening in your business. Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Yeah.
0: Now, do you guys focus on any type of industries or specific verticals or
1: anything? We we have some that we've really hung our hat on. Uh, we worked with some of the largest churches uh, here mm-hmm. in the country. We also work with some very, very large uh, construction companies and contractors all the way to large insurance companies. So if, if, it, we, we say we're industry agnostic. Every company is a technology company in some yeah. way, but we have seen great success in some of those three key areas. And we continue to work with some of the startups as well uh, along the way. So maybe this is me and maybe this is bad business strategy, but I don't like to hunker into one specific yeah. industry. And I think that that served us well, especially through COVID, where some of those industries went down where others rose and allowed us to grow 54% last yeah. year uh, when yeah. some were not being able to do any. No, that's, that's great. That's great. What, um,
0: so what are some of the, I guess, the problems that you see over and over again that you guys are able to solve? Like, you know, say I'm a company and I'm, I'm wondering whether or not I can, you know, solve something with software. What are, what are some of those common things that you're seeing that, that, uh, people are complaining about and, and you guys come in and fix or streamline?
1: I would say at the end of the day, almost every problem can be boiled down to the right message to the right person at the right time. Mm -hmm. If you you can take so many different softwares and you can typically boil it down to, okay, I'm trying to get a communication, whether that be a recognition, whether that be a, a product, whether that be whatever, a statement to a specific person. That specific person has to be, again, in some demographic in some way uh, related to the message and add value to them at a specific time in a specific way, their way, right? Yeah. So if I had to boil it down, I can pretty much take every every product or in most software, and you can boil it down to those right person, right time, right message, right person, right time in the way that they want to be communicated with. So that is that is a repeat. Now that looks so different. I mean, that could be again from from the. Uh, contracting side and general contractor making sure that their overseas teams feel valued by by bubbling up and and shining a light on the work that they do by knowing their name Mm -hmm. even when the ceo lives in birmingham alabama so there's there's a lot of ways you can shake that out but right person right message right time and the way that they want to be communicated with is very much that recurring event i can say yeah got it got it so you You've obviously built a, a company because you're not doing
0: this all yourself anymore, right? You you have employees and all of that. How how large is your staff at this point? We
1: have thirty seven now.
0: Okay. And are um, they all
1: are they all in one building? Or are they remote? Or we're in thirteen states. Oh wow. So we've been we've been remote uh, from the get go, honestly. Mm-hmm. But we have most of our about half of our team is here in Birmingham, and the other half is again distributed across thirteen states uh, across the U.S. All U.S. based, but we're yeah. remote. We've,
0: so, so how do you, how do you keep a, a culture together, you know, with having everybody scattered about, you know, any, any tips or things that you've learned, because obviously culture is you know, really important, in making sure that everybody's you know, sort of on the same wavelength and, you know, marching in the right direction, but uh, how do you keep everybody in
1: line when they're not all in the same room? So when COVID hit, funny enough, I got that question from so many, because many, many folks knew that we were running a remote company and some look down on that and others, oh, there's no way we can do that. But then I get the questions like, how do you know they're working when they're not in yeah. the building? Uh, and I asked them, how do you know they are working when they are? when they're in the building yeah. and not just closing a tab when you walk up. So honestly, I think running a remote company and how we've done it for, for the last you know eight years now has really been around measuring the right things, uh, bringing transparency to the right metrics, making sure to recognize people, not just for showing up, but the value and outcomes that they provide, ensuring there's places for relationship building. Even if it is remote, there's got to be intentional time set aside because when you're at home, anybody that's worked from home, everybody's worked from home for the past year. It's hard to turn it off. It's hard to know when's that time to like move off and do something personal. So for doing that and then transparency, transparency, transparency to a fault sometimes, because if you've got someone at an office, you've got a team in an office, unconsciously you're picking up on the conversations. You're figuring out what's going on. You're seeing things happen. When someone's 11 hours away in their bedroom, they hear something or see something on Slack. And then what are they doing? They're telling themselves stories. They're going to make up their own narrative, right or wrong. That's just what's going to happen. So for us to to build an engaging and value-driven culture, you have to measure the right things. You have to recognize people for the right things, Mm -hmm. uh, not just for the being there, but for actually the work done. You've got to make intentional time for relationship building, whether that be over Zoom, phone call, what have you. And you've got to create a space for transparency. Again, intentional time for that, not just... An ongoing, but build a culture of transparency as well to make sure that the people aren't telling themselves stories because that's yeah. the worst thing that can happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what? How do you establish that transparency? Because again, like you said, you know, conversations happen, you hear things. You know, how do you? How do you? How do you communicate enough without over communicating? I guess to make sure that everybody is included and everybody does understand. You know, all those little nuances that you would normally pick up if it was a typical office environment. Any any tips or
1: frameworks or advice or anything like that that you've learned over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I go back to that intentional time. We have a bi-weekly, we call it our crew Q&A. Everything's branded, so you're gonna hear nautical and whatever terms, but our crew mm-hmm. is our team. So our crew Q&A, we happen, actually happened this morning. We have it every every two weeks. And I this is a, a perfect opportunity, and this is what everybody should be doing to allow questions to be submitted Anonymously
2: mm-hmm. or
1: with their name on them. And that after that first one, that is when that starts getting created. So I when I set that precedence of what that crew QA is supposed to be, people were a little bit nervous, like what kind of questions can I ask? What kind of questions can't I ask? Yeah. So in the beginning, I had a couple of questions that some n- nobody put their names on them uh, for the for the spicy ones. And the way that I answered them were very, very direct. Mm-hmm. I, I should I, I didn't dance around the question and they were very, very hard. What I also did is I threw in some questions that I knew were on people's minds and that no one was asking. Okay. And when you do that, that then now sets the precedence for the next one of, okay, now I understand what kind of questions. So you can game it a little bit at the beginning, but I think that that needs to be something where you can make it optional, but it's never. It's, everyone's there every single two weeks. And when you have that town hall Q&A type of meeting where people can submit questions and they start seeing how you're able to, to deliver the answers to those, yeah. that just that's a snowball effect that has been really, really great for us. No, that makes perfect sense. How do you, what tool do you use
0: to collect the information? You know, I mean, obviously, well, I mean, I guess maybe there's some things like maybe a, like a Google sheet or something like that, but it, you know, obviously they can't email the questions in, they can't Slack the questions in because you're going to know who, who asked them. So, so how do you, how do you collect
1: that? Yeah. So being a software company and being, mm-hmm. being a software engineering ourselves, I, re- I I created a software and me and my co-founder now continue to maintain it and build it. And we call it crew. So, Crew is basically the tool that we use to run our culture. So, we have commendations within that are connected to Slack. So, some people can commend people can commend each other mm-hmm. for personifying our core values. We have celebrations where people can celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and babies and all sort and new deals. And then part of this is also you can submit questions. Mm-hmm. Now, there's obviously a little bit of trust that has to be in there, but in the anonymous state, I, I basically explained how I built it, which is zero logging comes through from slack so i don't take any uh, contextual information out of that and i only save the question itself so people can submit it through slack and and it sends an email from crew itself so there's that middle middle person okay got it and um and only adam and i have access to the production side so no one can kind of see or or do anything with it so we built an internal tool to ensure that there's that privacy ensure that uh, anonymity i guess that's what i'm (laughs) gonna say and we, we control that from throughout that is cool. That is very cool. I like that.
0: Um, and and are, is that something that you guys might publish as a product at some point, or, I mean, I, I, yes. I think <laughs> I, I was going to say I think we could. I, I mean, I could use that. So,
1: I, so I, I'll have to do a demo for you. Uh, yeah, my team would my team would slap me across the face and tell me to focus and, and stop. <laughs> but yeah, that that is something that again, culture is something I'm very very passionate about, and I think we've done a really good job from a from a culture of remote and mm-hmm. a culture especially agency where there's there's change we've we built a tool that i feel like a lot of people can actually get value from now whether or not and when we productize that is a different story but absolutely we we expect it to be something that other people can gain value from yeah no that that sounds cool that sounds very
0: cool when you went into the this this business obviously you had certain you know a certain amount of strategy you felt like this was a you know a market that you know could be served I guess, how, how has that worked out for you? Have you, have you found niches that you were like, okay, you know, this doesn't work. They don't, they don't need our services or like, as you mentioned before, you know, everybody is, you know, everybody has some type of technology that they're using today. I'm just curious on the strategy side of things. Have you, have you, you know, again, found a, a way to, to be able to determine, you know, yes, this is a good fit. This isn't a good fit for us.
1: Yeah, we actually have buyer personas that we, we put in a few years back. And this is going to be a longer answer to a shorter question. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, yes, we, we've identified our, our buyer personas. So we've got fun names for them as well. We've got our Techie Toms. we got our mm-hmm. Passionate Patties. we got our Frugal Freds, Nervous Neds, and Busy Bins. And those targets have actually changed. So we've identified them early on. But as we've grown and as we've kind of fallen into the, the types of companies that we've seen that we've served well, yeah. Um, we've, we've swapped around to some of those different personas and we've actually understood that we are not going to be able to serve those personas as well as uh, in the long run as well. So from a niche perspective, we, we really uh, stick with those busy bins and techie toms mm-hmm. and some passionate patties every now and then. So passionate patties are those, again, those startup founders that they, they know that this needs to exist, but they have a small, 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 small budget and they just need to prototype something really, really quickly.
2: Yeah. That is
1: something that we are, we are now starting to offer a little bit more intentional service around, but we found that our bigger processes are sometimes a little bit more expensive than some of those can afford. So we've, we've really tried to, again, carve out how we can help them the best and set those proper expectations. But now we, we really focus on those innovators, the people mm-hmm. and the businesses that have these opportunities, again, that are more customer centric or, or there is a face to it that people can interact with and those that want to take something for a long term relationship. So start with something maybe from the beginning and see it through from the build design and all the way to the maintain stage to where we can send it back through that loop as well is where yeah. we really, really fit in, fit in with companies right now. Yeah. Interesting.
0: What would be the definition of the, the techie Tom and the busy, busy Ben, right? Busy Is Ben. Busy Ben. Yeah. yeah. What,
1: what, what are those types of people? So, Techie Toms, you can le- think of these as leaders at technology-driven companies. Now, I always I talked about earlier how all companies are technology companies. There's a difference between uh, technology as a necessity to run your business, which mm-hmm. most businesses are, versus a technology where the software or is the business, right? So, these mm-hmm. are the these are the companies that have applications where, and web and mobile applications that those applications are their. Their the SaaS products, products yeah. right? Yep. So, so Techie Tom, you can see them as leaders of those those um, so SaaS type of, of businesses or, or technology driven businesses. Where the busy bins, you can think of these as large organizations large general contractors, large power companies that again, still have a need, especially within their operations to interact with their customers. Again, getting that message mm-hmm. out uh, in specific ways, sending and, and being more efficient with their processes internally that people mm-hmm. have to interact with. But there's typically an opportunity. Now, Busy bins, the, a little bit slower to move, right? There's, yeah. more, there's more red tape to get through that contract. However, when you do, we found that uh, we deliver such a great experience, which is a big key for us, that those are the ones that are also slower to move away, right? So slower maybe to get on board, but once you got on board and you've proven yourself, and you've delivered the value that you've said you would, they're also the ones that come to you and, and you can grow yeah. within. Yeah. Uh, as much as possible. So those are the two. Uh, and then uh, again, our passionate patties, you, I've, I've explained those as those entrepreneurs that are raring to go and we don't know if it go, it's going to work, but we're going to try yeah. our best to make it. Yeah. And, and you you
0: briefly touched on that you have your core values established and that. That's something that a lot of companies don't necessarily focus on. We We have ours established as well. And I think that it's incredibly valuable. What are some of the things that the core values have helped you decide or you make decisions or how do you how do you use your core values i guess what are some of the things that you've been able to, to realize because you have those established
1: Yeah, I I honestly don't know how companies function without them. And it it sounds like you've done them. And if you've done Mm -hmm. them the right way, they're not those marketing terms that just sounds good. And I want to put, but really taking that time aside to say, who are we? What are we Mm -hmm. made up of? What are those key areas? So we went through that process a couple of years ago. We're actually about to go through it again. This is what's fun, but there's new ones that will potentially show their light. But how do we use them? Hiring. From the mm-hmm. first part, the first interview you'll typically have with us is we're asking questions that are very, very centered around our, our integrity, creativity, uh, curiosity, and a getting things done attitude. We're very intentional through our hiring process. Mm-hmm. We're very intentional about recognizing people for it. So again, I have our commendations. It's not just, Hey, so-and-so did their job, right? Yeah. It's yeah. so-and-so did something that showed hashtag integrity or they dug in a little bit further than they needed to. And we, we realized that something that added more value because of that hashtag curiosity. So we actually use it to recognize people. And at the end of every month, we, we look at the people that got the most commendations. So these are the people that have, from all of their peers have received recognition for those commendations, mm-hmm. uh, for those core values. Those that have given the most core va- or, uh, commendations for the core values because that's what we want. We want people to realize and be looking for this and to be able to call people out. So we reward that. And then we have what we call our captain's choice where we're saying, listen, they may not have gotten a lot of uh, the commendations. However, we see you, you're showing it. And, and you deserve it. So we, we celebrate those, we reward people for those, and we recognize people for those. And then at, at the end, we also you know make the hardest choice that any business owner has to make, but we let people go or we change processes. From a We let clients go mm-hmm. and we let, of course, we have to work with our team. And, and if those are broken, we use those and we take them very seriously and make team changes if, if, if need be. So every aspect of our business has a core values part in it. And it helps mm-hmm. us make decisions more quickly and more efficiently
0: for sure. Yeah, that's great. And I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's uh we, we also have a, a decision hierarchy as well. Did you guys do that? You know, so it 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 helps us determine like who our stakeholders are and then where you know how we how we go about making decisions based on that 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 hierarchy of of you know people that are involved in the in the organization. So hmm. so it's it's an interesting way to be able to again learn and and you know, when, when problems show up, you know, is this impacting, you know, is this impacting the whole community? Is this at the very, very top? So that's something that can't, you know, can't be tolerated, but, you know, maybe it's only impacting, you know, the level below. So, okay, maybe there's some, some wiggle room there to, to be able to determine, you know, whether or not it, it needs to change or, or, or what have you. So, that was kind of a, a, a sub- I guess a sub chapter, I guess you can say when we were creating our core values,
1: we also you went to that level too. So I love um, that. No, we haven't done that, but I'm no I'm notating that it sounds like a great idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, we can talk more about that later, but, uh, but yeah, awesome. no, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So obviously again, technology is always changing. Do you guys have anything that you're working on? You know, what, like what's next for your company? What, um, what are some of the things that you guys are excited that you're going to, you know, start implementing if you can talk about any of those types of things?
1: Yeah, I can I can hint at some. We we have yes, technology is changing. Uh, expectations are changing. Honestly, what an MVP used to pass early on is is expectations are a lot larger for consumers. Mm-hmm. The market is just it's it's much more design focused and design heavy. So what we've what we've been interacting with a lot more lately is really the experience level of mm-hmm. of our software. So how does it look? How does it feel? Uh, how accessible is it? Is it inclusive? Is it something that someone can at the end of the day, go to sleep and feel like they made an impact working Mm -hmm. on. So we're actually, we're to the size now where we can actually be a little bit more selective on some of these projects and find that value that we we provide. So, but that goes all the way from babysitting applications to helping parents that are busy, find the babysitter as quickly as possible. IoT applications where there's sensors Mm -hmm. on yachts and we're trying to I'm not in this problem yet, but like if I had a yacht, right, but those that want to make sure that things are humming and, and doing the right things on yachts, all the way down to, again, getting the, the a clear message to a group of people that need to hear it in the right way and the, right, uh, the right communication medium too. So we, again, we've expanded that IoT side of things. We've, we're expanding more of that um, UX side of things and making that more intentional. And again, going back to it, and most of our applications boils down to getting that right person at the right time, that message over to them in the medium that they expect.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you touched on something else that I just wanted to ask uh, one last question. You, you mentioned that now the MVP, the minimum viable product, is much larger than what it used to be. People are expecting a lot more when you know, that thing you know, first goes live, whereas before you might have been, a- been able to, to launch something with a feature or two and you know, then kind of you know, grow from there. How do you how do you determine where that cutoff point is? I mean, and and how long does it typically typically take to get there? And again, I know that's kind of a loaded question because obviously every every project is a little bit different, every company is going to have their own needs, but is there something that you guys do where you can you know sort of draw the line in the stand and say, okay, when we get here, we're you know, we're going to move forward with it? How how do you determine where that, that line is? At the end of the day,
1: a lot of uh, companies come to us and people come to us to obviously take what they have in their brain and they want to see it all, right? Mm-hmm. They have, it's got to have every single bell and whistle, it has to have every single feature and, and plug and everything else. So, again, that we have what we call, well, we have two processes that, that kind of meet them where they are. We have our compass, which helps point in the direction of whether we're going to be the company that helps them if we can mm-hmm. even have the skill sets to do it and the feasibility from a technical standpoint. If that's all true, then we go into what we call our mapping process. And that's really tied in with our development. But in the mapping process, this is where we're boiling it down. This is what we're saying, are you sure you need that? Yeah. Are you sure you need that? And we do that in a way where we're asked the right questions up front. define that problem statement, define the goals and the value that we're trying to provide. And then along the way, as we're working through, we ask that question, how much of that value is gonna be provided here? How much of that value is actually gonna be provided here? Those exercises are very, very important. Instead of us just saying, here, let's slice this up. And here, Mm -hmm. this is what we're doing. It's a very interactive and collaborative process that we take one of our customers through to help them kind of come to the realization. Also, what we do is we prioritize those. So when we go through the process, you may have still come up with seven or seven features that you wanted for that and to solve it. Now you got to put those in priority order. What's that number one and what's that number seven? And here's your budget and here's your timeline. We're going to work through them in this priority order, and then we may not get to number seven, but yeah. you're going to know along the way that we're not getting there. So I really think it's just as much upfront planning without, without again, ruining the creative process that happens during the building, but enough to let the, the customer know, educate them, the client, educate them on how software is built and how to work through it to deliver that value and really stay focused on that every feature and asking yeah. that question. Yeah. So Very it's a facilitation. Cool. It's a facilitation process that um, sometimes you just need an outsider to to question yeah. question you every now and then.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. No, I love this. I love I love the approach. I love you know what you guys are, are doing there. So, you know, and congrats on all your success, uh, Trent. If if people want to learn more about you or your your company, where would uh, you suggest that they go?
1: Yeah, we have a, a great following on Facebook. So Airship is, is on Facebook. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Trent Kosurek, K-O-C-U-R-E-K. Airship LLC is also on LinkedIn. And then we have some fun stuff on Instagram at Team Airship uh, and on Twitter at Team Airship. So we're all over the place. We can be found on all the major social media networks. Very cool,
0: very cool. Trent, again, many thanks for being on the show and uh, good luck with all the future endeavors. Thank you, Matt. It's been a great, great time. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.